Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. So we've been working our way through many of the uh, works of Nick Land. We've been looking at a lot of his different essays and pieces and talking about different aspects of what he has to say. Today, I want to be focused on a concept, of course, that came originally from Curtis Yarvin, as so many of the concepts that he discusses uh, do. It's, of course, the concept of the cathedral. At this point, many of you are familiar with the concept of cathedral. It's even been on Fox News at this point. So, you know, your grandma might be familiar uh, uh, kind of what the cathedral means. Uh, but well, one of the things that Nick Land uh, kind of looks at in this essay is, is the cathedral dying? We can tell that there's something wrong with the cathedral. We can tell that there are issues with the cathedral. Uh, is it dying? Or we might, we're going to also introduce a thread from another poster today, which I think is very interesting. Is it instead transforming into something very different? But before we dive into all of that political theory, uh, joining me today is the Prudentialist. Prudentialist, thanks for coming by, man. Thanks for having me on again, Oren. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. One of my favorite people to break things down with and one of the audience's favorite as well. So always glad to have you. Uh, we're going to jump into the essay, guys. But before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsor. Hey, guys, like most of you, I have fond memories of waking up at the crack of dawn, excited to watch all the Saturday morning cartoons. Mom didn't want to wake up that early on Saturday, so that meant that we got to pour a bowl of our favorite cereal for breakfast. They tasted great, but of course, they're full of sugar and they're not that healthy, which is why it was a treat. But now Magic Spoon has an alternative to that cereal you love that has zero sugar but still tastes great. There's a bunch of different flavors, but they have a nice variety pack to get you started with cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. The variety pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. And each serving is only 140 calories. The cereal checks a lot of boxes for people because it's high protein, has zero sugar, it's keto friendly, gluten free, grain-free, and soy-free. You might be skeptical about sugarless, high-protein cereal, but I can tell you it actually tastes great. Peanut butter was my personal favorite, but my wife and the little guy were big fans of the fruity flavor. And they both really like cereal, so it's nice to have a no-sugar, high-protein option. So go to magicspoon.com Oren to grab your variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code Oren at checkout to save $5 off your first order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash Oren and use the code Oren to save $5. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and dive into this. Now, as, uh, again, is so often the case, when we look at the cathedral uh, when look, we look at these essays, look in the cathedral, uh, this is coming from Land. He is responding to Curtis Yarvin and Curtis Yarvin's theory. This is uh, that that's put forward in Unqualified Reservations in the Open Letter and other uh, essays that uh, he wrote there. And uh, he's responding specifically to an idea of uh, kind of how our regime manages information. Again, many of you have probably run into uh, kind of the phrase the cathedral. cathedral. I know a lot of people don't like that phrase. Uh, I understand that, uh, you know, some people have a different saying for it. However, whatever you want to call it is fine. That's not really a problem. Uh, but we do want to understand what the concept is. Uh, I, I've kind of gone over it many times, uh, but we'll just go ahead and break it down real quick so people have context. 
So the idea of the cathedral is the idea that even though we do not have a specific kind of state-sponsored, state-sanctioned Politburo or central uh, propaganda apparatus in the United States, even though theoretically, uh, you know, we have this free system, an uh, open marketplace of ideas, all of these different organizations, what actually happens is Harvard and Yale and the New York Times and the Pentagon and Apple they all seem to agree almost cons- uh, constantly. And the question is why? If we don't have this central uh, consensus-making apparatus, what what's doing this? How are they all still saying the same thing? Why is it that you can watch 15 different news networks and they all say the same line over and over again, what's going on there? And the answer is that there is a distributed network of organizations and uh, institutions that... Uh, that work and to kind of manufacture our consensus in the United States. This mainly comes from things like universities uh, and the media apparatus, though other things like the federal bureaucracy and corporations are also an essential part of it. And they all have kind of the same morality, the same background, the same ideas, the same shared experiences in universities, the same credentialing mechanisms. And this means that they all tend to share the same ideas. They want to impress each other. They tend to work kind of simultaneously to shift uh, people in a particular direction. Curtis Yarvin calls this the cathedral. Some people call this the deep state. Some people call it the system. Again, whatever you want to call it, the important thing is not the label itself so much as kind of the concept of what is driving public opinion in the United States. Now, Prudentialists, when did you first kind of hear this idea of the cathedral? What did you think about it when you first kind of interacted with it? Well, I, I think it's important to sort of separate the label from the the concept. Like you had said, the concept is way more important than whatever term that you might want to use. So, I mean, I've always heard the the, the system or just the or how my uh, grandpa likes to describe it, like a backroom deal. I don't know if he ever got that from Rush Limbaugh or somebody else. But this idea that, um, you know, academia, the media and government all kind of work together in this sort of just handshake agreement was just sort of how I always interpreted it. Um, it wouldn't be until around 2019 or so when I first heard of Curtis Garvin and started reading some of his work. Um, found it particularly interesting, but it's been a few years now since I heard the term. So we're going to be looking at, again, kind of what Nick Land thinks about it. But I'm also going to bring in a, another thread. There was a great uh, thread over the weekend that kind of talks about what the system might be morphing into. So we'll read Land's uh, post first. And then we'll move into the other one and can, can kind of compare and contrast. Because remember, uh, these Xenosystems blog entries are are older. Uh, they, they've been around for a number of years. And so things have changed in the time from when Land wrote them, though I still think there's some important insights to get into here. So we'll just go ahead and start from the beginning. So extreme corros- corrosive pessimism is an NRX specialty. Many people have uh, complained about that, but uh, Nick Land appreciates that aspect. Uh, since, uh, since optimism bias is a status quo supported human cognitive frailty, it's a good thing to have. If uh, rigidified, however, it can result in missing things. One systematic distortion stems from hubris, taking the form of a confusion in the causality. We don't like X and we want bad things to happen to it can actually be a distorted expression of a basic process. X is dying and therefore we've started to dislike it. So what Land is saying here is that oftentimes, you know, people have this bias of, you know, we want good things to happen. 
Uh, we, you know, uh, and so uh, kind of the opposite of that is this, we want bad things to happen to something we don't like. And so a lot of people will look at something, they'll look at something like, say, the cathedral, this kind of decentralized consensus making apparatus, and they'll say, well, I don't like it. And so I hope it falls apart. I hope it collapses, right? But what he says is actually the reason you don't like it is because it's collapsing. The, the, the reason that uh, you are now noticing it and you're paying attention to it and you're hating it is because it's not doing its proper job. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the ways we can tell it's not doing its proper job, and this essays into it, but so does that other thread that will break down, is, is that there are certain mythological operating costs that I don't think that the cathedral or the you know the system is particularly capable of maintaining anymore. Those operational costs are just too high. Uh, like because no one believes in those political platitudes that you know we're all we all bleed the same blood we're all Americans under the red white and blue like clearly we all have different ideas of what that means and if the system itself can't maintain that that's a sign that things are not working as well as they once were able to you know uphold the civic religion so there is um to Nick Land he senses that there's blood in the water and we don't like it because it's dying as the kids say it has the ick so to speak so we're we're not fans yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. The fact that there's these, there's this at, at the very least bifurcation of moral visions, probably far, far uh, further splintering. But the fact that there are these these radically different moral visions and that they can't be unified, they can't be controlled, they can't be consistently put together on the same page and kind of pointed at the same problem means that something is wrong with the apparatus itself. And so, uh, like you said, there's blood in the blood in the water, and that's why we suddenly don't like the thing because it's not working. It's not getting us all into the same page anymore. Uh, so uh, he says, this blog strongly suspects that the cathedral has become an object of animosity as a consequence of its morbidity. After all, it's a mind control apparatus. If it's no longer universally accepted and in certain problematic patches actively loathed, this function is clearly indicated. Uh, contestation of its story is not supposed to be part of the story so i this particularly hit me when he said uh, you know different patches uh being loathed this made me think about kind of the disaffected liberal right these these moderates that are being thrown off if the if the cathedral was working correctly you would not have people who were progressive just 10 years ago coming out against the current moral order right they would not be fighting back against the message if this thing that is supposed to be a mind control vice, device supposed to put us all on the same page if it was working properly you wouldn't see that right oh yeah absolutely i mean we wouldn't be seeing this wave of disaffected liberals that have been constantly saying for the last five to ten years that you know i didn't leave the left the left left me there wouldn't be these projects by you know normally just well-established academics and sort of the you know conservative or more of the establishment ivy league schools or even places like notre dame telling you that, hey, things are bad, I'm still pretty progressive, but like we need to filter out some kind of regime change or whatever. It really is illustrative of the fact that whatever is trying to make us all sing Kumbaya at the dinner table together uh, is not working. And the fact that there are certain, you know, little camps of po you know political factions and identities propping out is indicative of the fact that um, hey, the, the idea that we can all watch Walter Cronkite or watch, you know, Charlie Rose on the television, we can all get along and agree with the facts or facts, we just agree, disagree on policy, that doesn't exist anymore. And um, yeah, Land is a firm believer that that's a sign of some kind of necrosis or death.
Yeah, and I, and I think it gets into it a little bit here, but one of the key things that's part of that process that you just kind of mentioned there is not just the splintering of the story, but the the kind of the versus the many different media app uh, websites, the internet, the the podcasts, the number of ways that people can now consume content, that stories can get out, that it's it's so hard to have this monolithic censorship and unification of the narrative the way that it previously was available when you only had a few news readers, there's only a couple programs that actually talked about what was going on in the world. You, know, you, you just did not have uh, the ability to break the message through at the level that you do now. And so that's, that's a huge part of it too, is the technological advances that have allowed um, kind of uh, the regime to strengthen its grip on everything has also allowed cracks to form in kind of this monolithic censorship apparatus. All right, so we'll jump back into the essay here. The zeitgeist is its story, not ours. It is, it is In this tale, it goes from strength to strength, overwhelming everything in its path. Recognizing the structure of this narrative is important. Subscription to it is not thereby implied. So the current thing, right, the zeitgeist should be its story. It should be moving from strength to strength. That that uh, kind of signal control, that ability to blast over the uh, kind of the narrative at all times should be overriding kind of the actual public opinion, the actual pushback, uh, any any real uh, you know people saying anything different. But its ability to do that is kind of falling apart. Now we're seeing the regime kind of just turn the volume up constantly, but its inability to kind of stamp out all competitors means that it keeps running into this problem of not being able to kind of bowl over all alternative stories the way it used to. Yeah, there's uh, clearly things will will stick through and will require some kind of acknowledgement from the current thing or the current ruling class. I mean, I'm surprised by, we've, we've seen this with Maui, right? You You're having sort of a, Hurricane Katrina-like moment for instead of, you know, George W. Bush just flying over New Orleans, it's President Biden, you know, going on vacation, just giving a thumbs up with clearly a lot of incompetent people running things, which give people a really bad sniff test. Now you've got the uh, Hurricane Hillary. So another Hillary kill count coming in for California. Um, you know, it's really indicative that, hey, some things are just sort of piercing through the what we might call the current thing. No one's talking about, say, the latest film or celebrity drama. There are clearly more pressing issues on its mind. I mean, there are people on the political left who consider themselves diehard progressives that are now openly talking about things like catabolic collapse. Clearly, the sort of mainstream narrative about how things are going is uh, really indicative. I mean, even more um, publicly facing like geopolitics people, for example, like Peter Zion has a whole book about how the end of the world is just beginning. Uh, and it sort of indicates that, you know, whatever system is meant to keep, you know, the, the lights on, the roads working, public sewage, airports, you know, su uh, supply chains working, things are clearly falling apart and people can notice. Absolutely. All right. So jumping back in here, every critical component of the cathedral, media, academic, bureaucratic, is exceptionally vulnerable to Internet driven disintermediation. The current phase of capital reconstruction is distinctively and automatically cathedral hostile when evaluated at the level of the uh, economic proce uh, process, which we do not uh, do enough, rather than at the level of surface, surface public pronouncement, which, can, uh, which we concern ourselves with far too much. Dying things can, very, uh, can be very dangerous and even more frenzied. It would be a mistake to confuse such characteristics 
with the fundamental with fundamental strength. So uh, he's talking about the 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 technical aspect we've already mentioned a couple times. Now he's saying that the internet is causing a serious problem. It's not allowing uh, this monolithic intermediation between uh, kind of the truth and the public. They can't get everybody to sing on the same hymn sheet all the time. And more importantly, he's saying that it's it's really just the, this current mode of capital reconstruction. Things are only getting more varied. The avenues of distribution are only getting wider. Uh, everything about this is kind of breaking down many parts of the cathedral. Now, again, that is not the only thing that's happening. They are obviously gaining uh, many totalitarian uh, kind of controls on other aspects of our lives. There's all the there's all this data collection. Uh, there's all this biometric. You know, there, there's so many things that can now be cataloged and used against you. So technology is. It's not saying that the technology is not being used by the regime, but it is saying that it's not being used in the way that the cathedral used to use it. Which again is will we've we foreshadowed this a number of times. But that's why I think that uh, that thread is so interesting that we're going to get to because it kind of picks up where this leaves off and says, okay, but here's what here's how this is getting used now. So he's saying that this you know this technology is is killing many of the aspects of the cathedral that allowed it to coordinate the message. However. That doesn't mean that uh, it's not dangerous right now. A dying animal that's thrashing around, biting, scratching, clawing because it's it's in a it's death throes. It's still super dangerous, but that doesn't mean it's strong, right? Just because it it's hurting people, that it's causing damage, does not make it strong. Yeah, this is one of those things where I wish I knew when this essay was originally published because when he's talking about it's exceptionally vulnerable to disintermediation, we're we're cutting out the middleman. I think that the middleman has found its way back. It's just put on a more um, public internet content creator face. I mean, there was an example where, regardless of your position on the Ukraine war, um, uh, King and Games, I think it's one of those YouTube channels that's been covering it. And it said that one of its essay or one of its video scripts had been provided by someone from the National Endowment of Democracy, someone who works there. And it's really indicative that there are middlemen out there. And this is a way that I think that uh, the regime has been trying to cut down on people that can pierce through and, you know, can cut through the BS. I mean, this is why the uh, Doug Mackey trial was so important, because you had a guy making memes about elections, things that clearly pierced through public channels. And so the regime's in a frenzy has arrested this guy and he was charged and found guilty before a jury. And so you're seeing it there. I, I, if that's the frenzy death rows of a dying animal or a creature adapting to this newfound environment, um, I think remains to be seen. I mean, like things will collapse in there innately, but I think that even when we look at South Africa, right, the, the country can't maintain the lights on. You've got rolling blackouts. Such discussion is happening about how that might work in California and other parts of the United States. Um, but the ANC is still clearly in charge. The people that run that, you know, political institution still have a lot more authority than say the guy trying to like flee and go to Orania. So I, I think that it, it may be dying or it may just be, acknowledging that we may have to reduce our standard of living, our quality of life in order to maintain control. And that may just be a concession it has to do to stay in power rather than dying. But maybe we'll see if that new thread gets into it. It does. And I, and I think that's really important because I, I think our general answer to this will be no, mostly, uh, though uh, I think there are some signs that the regime is sick. Uh, but but it is, I think, certainly transitioning from soft the soft power of what many would call the cathedral or the system to the hard power 
of the regime. And again, that's that's what we're going to get into with that thread. But let's go ahead and uh, kind of clean up the rest of this essay really quickly. A step down from hubris might begin with acknowledgement that NRX is primarily a symptom. Whatever imagined heroism is uh, sacrificed thereby is more than compensated by an opportunity for deeper realism. So he's saying, again, that the fact the fact that people are breaking away from classic conservatism, kind of controlled right wing uh, thought is a sign, again, not that like the people doing that are heroic or they're 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 different thinkers, but that the system is so sick that it would allow this to kind of happen, that people would search outside of it. And I can say that as somebody who was a talk radio conservative up until just a few years ago, I think that's really true. Right. Like, I don't think I would be looking in the places that I looked. I don't think I would be thinking about, you know, reading the thinkers that I read, explaining the things that I'm explaining now, if the system was working in a way that allowed it to continue to to hold that capture, you know, to to keep people on the reservation and not thinking about anything outside of kind of the approved opposition. And so I think that, again, that's why I think even though uh, the essay is a little dated in some ways, it's still valuable because it allows us to kind of understand. That, that that might be the whole reason again that that even people are looking at it in this way. Yeah, I think that there's an, the opportunity for deepened realism is is land rights. I think is pretty accurate. I think that nobody, even political leftists outside of say like the, the the bread tube communists, I, no one in a serious political left fashion, I think, is even looking at this with the optimism outside of maybe empty platitudes or rhetoric because they also know that things have gotten bad. There are more realistic assessments of how leadership or how government might work at a federal or, or local level. And um, yeah, I mean, there, there is no heroism today. I mean, the, the outside of the people that actually like take care of problems or defend persons and property like Kyle Rittenhouse or, or Daniel Perry in the New York subway, like outside of that, you know, people are just like looking for some kind of intellectual, realistic approach to how do we solve problems? And I think that that comes with a lot of issues in itself that we, we may not be able to get into. But I mean, one of the things that I think certainly becomes a problem is, is that, yeah, we can have an, a, a deeper assessment. We can look at things through like the lens of Alul or Spangler. But, um, you know, I think that also comes with this awful caveat that it makes a lot of people armchair, armchair political theorists and not builders to do what they might need to survive. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a huge problem. Yeah, there's this weird thing <clears throat> that is and this is, again, why I really enjoyed like when we went to the Skildings conference and 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 things like that. There are these, there's this thing that because talking heads or personalities, content creators, because that's the forward facing part, that's where kind of the community gathers in the comments, the live chats, you know, the, the, uh, the followings in Twitter, that kind of thing, because that's where some of that stuff happens. That's the only thing that can happen, right? It's the only thing that matters. And I think, of course, it matters. You know, I'm, I'm making content, you're making content. We obviously care about this stuff. But a lot of the things that really matter, again, are that uh, that real organization, your own self-improvement, uh, and then your ability to do good work in your community, to network with others of like mind and find, uh, you know, kind of good ways to make things happen. That doesn't always show up in, like, entertaining content that people will watch. And so there's this dichotomy of, like, some some of the most important work is not happening. In fact, most of the most important work happening is not happening in the space where people gather to talk about it. And so people don't talk about it as much, but that doesn't mean that 
uh, theory should be the only focus. That doesn't mean endless discussions on that should be the only focus. Though I still think there's there's obviously a place for these uh, things to continue to happen. Uh, but just again, just because you know uh, the the live chat is where you meet up or the the Twitter thread is where you debate things under that doesn't mean that's the only place that you can interact and and do something valuable. Uh, so uh, the end here. Uh, he's responding to uh, somebody who was writing an essay, uh, and he just kind of quotes him here, saying, uh, "The current crop of Republican candidates. This is a, this has got to be 2016, uh, by the way, 2015, 2016. Are openly breaking with the really important modern faith, the media-led church that has held mainstream politics together so long. Uh, this is the integrative media is is fatally sick. Uh, the interact exists at all is a sign of that." And then he has this uh, interesting added at the bottom, which I think I just want to include because it's funny. Uh, he says, I might be biased myself here uh, because this is what obs uh, obsesses me and this is what angers me. I could care less, to be honest, about the GOP or its programs. Again, I feel like that's just Trump voters uh, it through and through, right? <laughs> like, I, like, I'm done with the GOP. I don't really care about the GOP. I'm not here for the conservative movement. I, I you know, that that's not why I'm here. What keeps me interested in politics at all is my loathing of the self-appointed priestly ca uh, class of the media. Uh, Nick Land, the OG, you don't hate journalists enough uh, there. <laughs> uh, the media uh, serve as uh, the shamans and witch doctors of an entire tribe. And the purpose of those shamans is to relentlessly disgrace outsiders to the tribe, which is, pleased, uh, which is pleasing to those uh, within the tribe while also keeping the shamans in power. Uh, so basically, these journalists are there to keep kind of these blue, the blue class in power, the laptop class, the the ruling class in power, uh, and they the reason Land is is willing to be involved at all is he really hates the way that they hate everyone else and kind of uh, you know beat up Middle America for their amusement. So yeah, it's like that 4chan green text or whatever. I don't have any politics. I just really hate liberals. <laughs> that's, that's really what it is. Yeah. Um, although that phrase integrative media is the thing that also makes me kind of question things because um, we we now have Elon who had bought Twitter uh, or X. Uh, I, I really, I don't know why you want to be so egotistical that you want to take away a brand that already has its own like namesake, like the same way that Google has now become a, a company and a verb, Twitter, tweeting, whatever. Um, but he wants to make it an all-encompassing thing for payments, content creation, media, news, fact-checking, all in this one bundle deal. And that's very integrative. Like everything is now in one singular place. Um, and I and I wonder if we're going to see that resume. I mean, there was a report that came out, I think, from uh, Raheem Kasim that he had said that uh, Twitter or X. Elon wants to hire election disinfo people for 2024. Oh, yeah. So meet the meet the new boss, same as the old boss, but like an egotistical billionaire, just like the old boss, but worse. So I, I think. But that this one likes to laugh at the Babylon Bee. So you know. yeah, yeah. So he's like, I, he's still awful. I'm not going to give him any credit whatsoever. Um, and I, I think that he's going to probably bring that sense of integrative media back, but because it's incentivized for you to get some money out of it. it. It doesn't matter as long as you fork over your real identification and who you are. And, you know, I think we're going to see a return of integrative media. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's uh, no, no spoilers for everybody, but I already cut a video for later in the week talking about uh, uh, Twitter and hitting on that uh, topic quite a bit. So uh, you can check that out. Probably, probably put it out Thursday, guys. But I, I think you're right about a lot of that, Prudentialist. All right, so... Uh, now we're going to jump into a thread uh, from a rather astute poster 
Uh, he's, of course, Dr. Baron 17 Shy Poster DDS. Uh, so, so while the name is very funny, guys, I get it. Um, the the content is very good, uh, and so I think it's it's worth taking time because I said I think, like I said, really, uh, especially contrasting it with what we saw there in our previous one, uh, I think it's really important. All right, so uh, we're gonna jump into this thread, guys. But before we do, uh, let's go ahead and hear from our other sponsor, Miracle Sheets. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend that you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacteria growth which lets them stay clean and fresh three times longer than other sheets. Miracle sheets are very comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice as bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. You don't need to sleep with bacteria that clogs your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Instead, you can sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com Oren to try Miracle-made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use the promo code ORIN at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an additional 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle made today. Go to trymiracle.com slash ORIN and use the code ORIN to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Oren to treat yourself. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, lis uh, listen to the uh, intellectual musings of the Dr. Baron here. So uh, like I said, it's very interesting contrasting this between uh, kind of what Nick Land had been talking about. Is the cathedral dying? Is this mind control apparatus going away? And I think... Uh, this thread, which is going to talk more less about how it's dying and how it's transitioning. Now, a lot of people were complaining uh, to give you some context for this thread. Like Matt Iglesias was saying, people just say the regime and stuff and nobody knows what they're talking about. And kind of Pedro Gonzalez, for some reason, was jumping in there as well and kind of agreeing. It's like, well, actually, there's a thousand hours of people explaining exactly what this means online. But OK, anyway, the point is that, you know, uh, that uh, our poster here wanted to kind of explain in more depth kind of what it was so he explained kind of what the regime is but then he he contrasted the uh, the cathedral here so we're going to go through the thread and uh, kind of look at what he said and explain kind of everything that was going on here so the regime has a lot of overlap with Molbug's concept of the cathedral but the cathedral was meant to be more persuasive liberal hidden the regime is what happens when liberalism finishes its logical moves to the illiberal leftism and with that becomes overtly coercive. All right, so I think that's a really important distinction that we are seeing here, right? The, it's not that the cathedral did not exist. It's not that this, uh, you know, this uh, uh, distributed uh, consensus-making apparatus wasn't a thing, but what we're seeing is it's coming to its end. The ability of the... Uh, of the regime to operate it is running out uh, again, maybe for many of the reasons that land identified in there, right? The fact that people uh, notice it, the fact that people don't like it means it's not working. 
uh, and because it's dying because it's you know there are these technological problems that are opening it up to all these slings and arrows uh, because it's losing all of these people. There's these, these apostates who are breaking away from progressivism because of uh, kind of these obvious flaws. The regime is kind of slowly having to transition to hard power to more overtly, overtly coercive methods because that soft uh, kind of persuasive uh, nudge style liberalism that came out of the cathedral is no longer working to manage the populace. Yeah, I, I really think that that's sort of the the dead set transition where we've moved from, like the the soft coerce, you know, the soft push, that invisible hand that sort of casually moves things ever leftward has kind of been uh, not as effective as sort of what land said. Well, land claims that it's dying, um, whereas here uh, it's realizing that the current method of gently pushing, gently nudging, isn't working. And instead, maybe, um, you know, an iron fist under a velvet glove punching you in the solar plexus might be a better idea. Right, right. And uh, and uh, for those who have seen some of my other work before, I've talked about the difference between lions and foxes, right? We've talked about the kind of the uh, the residue one and residue two uh, kind of uh, proclivities from Vilfredo Pareto. And the fact that your, your ruling class is always going to have a mixture of kind of these... Uh, uh, kind of more martial stalwart uh, uh, kind of physical types like the lions and then the more tricky uh, th those who are able to kind of combine things and think around problems those are going to be your foxes we've obviously had a fox style government for a long time uh, we've kind of stretched fox governments to its limits how much propaganda can you really tunnel through how much can you really combine and destroy and and kind of re- uh, create different institutions, but the foxes are coming, coming to the end of their ability to manipulate things. And they're still really bad at being lions though. Like they still don't know how to use kind of aggressive power. So I think what we're going to see is the, the regime trying to move to this uh, hard power, but maybe not doing the best job, but we'll, we'll get into that a little more as we get into the thread. So he says the cathedral is at least a century old, but I think it's just now gone through a phase transition as it exhausted a lot of liberal premises of equality, while at the same time discovering that it has uh, captured enough people and the elite to abandon equality, which, uh, which means it has the power to enforce its next phase, equality, i.e. equality through use of force. While it shares things with previous forms of illiberal leftism, this is a uniquely American evolution and is also one that draws on modern forms of force. So that's very interesting because he talks about the shift of equality to equity, right? We see that the, the equality to equity phase. So we stopped talking about kind of these soft uh, nudges in the direction. We'll put a little, little thumb on the scale here, you know, give people uh, enough uh, indoctrination in this direction to kind of get to equality. But now we don't have to pretend what we're looking for is equality anymore. We can now just go full on. We're going to enforce equity and we're going to start doing it not with just, you know, uh, kind of the old school gulags and guns against your back form of uh, force, but new forms of force that are now available through technological and social advancement. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that when we say has captured enough people and the elite to abandon equality, um, we also have got, you know, mass immigration plays a huge role in that. Like, you know, if we can di dilute and diminish 
as you had tweeted earlier, like if we can just, you know, create a sort of this like black state to consolidate black power in America, and that's totally fine with the regime. Like clearly, like you're 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 capitalizing on sort of these like interminority interests uh, to capitalize and dilute the power of middle America, which has still been, you know, strongly voting for Trump under our current party system. And, you know, the elites are all for it because they they long for the day, you know, whether they're writing about the emerging Democratic majority or, you know, Congressman Ted Lieu laughing about demographic change. Like um, it's a way in which they they don't they no longer have to, to play a game about equality. We can all just get along. It's about diversity, equity and inclusion to ensure that anything of the old, you know, avenues to resist power are diluted out and crushed in new corporate ways, whether that be through, you know, Debanking, deplatforming. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on, and we've seen them. Um, and he mentions this in another tweet, responding to someone else. But he's like, "It's almost as if the last eight years didn't happen at all." When you say these things don't exist, when um, clearly we're, we're witnessing a brand new transformation of, of our regime. And I think that this is a good update from what Land is saying because it's not well. It's not that the regime is dying. It's just that the uh, the mask is off, and everyone's kind of uh, recognizing that we're in a totally different state of politics that no one knows what to do with. Yeah. And like you said, that, that, the, that uh, concerted effort to bring a change in the electoral system, to change the demographics, to change the voting system, make sure mail-in ballots are available, make sure that you're diluting uh, the, the different uh, groups that had been in the country before, uh, making sure the democratic system is, is completely pliable to the will of the party, as opposed to have any kind of regional pushback tied to the legacy of people who lived in those areas. Like that's all a, a, a very clear effort. And it's, again, it's a playbook that gets repeated. I mean, did you see the, uh, the Sadiq Khan? Cause that Charles blow article was wild. Like that. Yeah. I couldn't help. I'll, I'll, I might have to do an episode just about that. Cause, of, cause of like how bold face he was like, he was just basically preaching black nationalism in the middle of the New York times. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like this, that that's, that's how the New York times does business. They're, they're on board with that. That makes perfect sense. Um, but, but the Sadiq Khan one where like, they, his office didn't want people posting like white families uh, in London because that's not what London looks like. <laughs> like that was a, yeah, those are not traditional Lon or not real Londoners not real, is what yeah, he had said. Yeah, I, in the same in the same way that like you know their their prime minister who had looked like he was really happy that he was standing behind the podium not as the prime minister but as a Hindu. It really does indicate that um, uh, you know all sorts of ways in which there used to be the avenues of power they've been replaced by these new diverse or, or post-racial you know language that they like to use when really it's just another way that they can just openly say no we just don't want the people that live lived here longer than you to have any political power yeah well especially because they're the ones that remember something right they, they're they're the ones that had client groups they had social ties they had social fabric that existed before the regime and so well, yeah it, it's like it's like what you've said all the time when you see those pictures where people like crap on the 1950s it's just like we have this decade of, of U.S. history where it was like really well documented, filmed and televised where people were happy and could live under like one income and have families and kids. And that's why they have to rehistoricize it and tell lies about it, because, you know, you have to be miserable and equitable and diverse in this new regime. And you have to make sure that there's no there's no group that would understand any truth outside of what the regime would publish. Right. You don't have a tradition. You don't have a faith. You don't have a community that allows you to understand anything about what's not being piped through your television. Cause kind of once you've destroyed all those intermediate uh, social institutions, the only way to, en to enforce social fabric is just mass propaganda. Right. 
and so you know you need to eliminate anybody who you know you, you got to get rid of anybody who remembers when we were at war with south you know southeast asia or whatever right you, you got you got to disappear anybody who might have uh uh who might be behind on their latest npc update but yeah like works. i Oh, go oh, ahead, sorry, go no, ahead. no, go ahead. Oh, well, I, it's no, there's a really good example of this. I don't know if you've covered it yet, Oren, but I mean, like, we have two movies now about like corporate biopics, like a fake story about flaming hot Cheetos, and there's a movie on Amazon about Air Jordans. Like, you know, we have all these new people that have come here to get their fresh update that um, America is just an economic zone with like a few notable like pop culture brands. Um, and so, like, that's that's our sort of that's the last remnants of soft power culture. And even then, a lot of people don't buy into it. But it really does indicate that um, maybe these old soft power ways of media and propaganda don't work anymore. Um, and we can just, uh, you know, we have to be more forceful because people can watch Barbie and recognize like, no, there's some really nice right wing themes to this. And they're like, well, any sort of attempt to make this a feminist, you know, treatise that's got thrown out the window. So we got to put some more force into it. Yeah, it is kind of wild that the that these uh, they're just these consumerist biopics are replacing any kind of. So I'll, if you want, let me tell you something that's depressing because I'm a black pill dispenser. Um, but when I used to teach, like there are these, you know, these games, there's these quiz games that we would play uh, with the students, you know, to like make sure that, you know, it's like Jeopardy, basically. And, you know, they, you know, hey, you know, who won this election and what happened at this point in the Civil War, blah, blah, blah. And uh, every once in a while, you just throw in a fun one, you know, so that, uh, you know, that they'd stay interested. So you do one that's on on movies or something. And uh, they didn't have any idea of shared history. Uh, if you did one on Christmas, they didn't know the Bible story. They didn't know about Mary or Joseph or Bethlehem. N none of them understood like any of that. But if you did corporate brands, everybody was an expert. They got super excited about corporate brands. And so corporate brands are like this kind of beautiful thing, I guess, or, you know, horrible thing. If you're uh, you're one of these uh, kind of people who's just looking to erase culture and melt it all down into the gray goo, because like, yeah, you might not know anything about actual history. You might have no knowledge about you, like your religion, your culture, family, you know, your folkways, anything like that. But everybody knows Pepsi. Everybody knows Pizza Hut. Everybody knows, you know, Nike when it shows up on the screen. And the lights, you know, people lighting up that it's, it's it's wild, but it really is kind of where the culture is going when you've managed to deracinate people that thoroughly. Yeah, it's the neoliberal pantheon for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, so we need Geo to draw that one. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's commission that one, the the neoliberal pantheon. All right, so uh, our next part here, uh, we got to, so he's talking about uh, the modern forms of force. Uh, this means that it's still softer in some ways. Its force isn't piling up bodies in ditches, except through anarcho-tyranny. Uh, but it is more interesting in interested in deplatforming, uh, de debanking, sending sending state agents to tell tech companies what they must ban, that sort of thing. So a lot of the power that you were talking about, Prudential, is saying, okay, and I've talked about this too. I did a piece called "The Gulag Comes to You," right? Putting people in trains, taking them to the work camps—that that's really messy work. I mean, it's effective. It'll silence people, but you know, there, there's a hard power thing that's distasteful and it's difficult. In the modern world, the gulag comes to you. You just shut down the bank account. Uh, you make sure that they can't get a mortgage. Uh, they can't rent any property. Uh, you make sure that uh, you know it's impossible for them to to work or to 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 invest or to you know get married or anything. You just shut them down as a person, and then you don't actually have to go through the messy business of rounding somebody up at gunpoint and sending them off to some godforsaken corner of Siberia. 
Absolutely. But at the same time, the regime is highly more aggressive than the cathedral was and will do things to destroy not only keystones of liberalism that were well accepted just 20 years ago, but also uh, both private citizens and the president of the United States alike very publicly. So this is a big pivot, right? So he's been talking about, okay, well, they have access to these different tools. It is softer than traditional totalitarianism, uh, but it is a big change from the old, more cathedral-like, this, this again, soft power, uh, distributed uh, kind of apparatus of intellectual control, shifting to this more aggressive version where, yes, it's still not, you know, putting the jackboots on. It's still not, you know, shipping you off in the trains. However, it will go after people very specifically. It will destroy key aspects, even of things that were central to liberalism, which is kind of the ideology it used to set itself in. And it will go after both private citizens and even the president of the United States. It's obviously a much more aggressive uh, uh, version of this, which is willing to break boundaries and in and many ways, maybe do things that would be foolish if you're still trying to maintain soft power, but it's willing to go uh, much faster and break more things because it's not as concerned with this soft nudge style of control anymore. Uh, then he says, uh, this is a massive change, one where media, social, legal, or corporate power can zap you out of existence at any moment. Sometimes the cathedral would, must, uh, would muster the will to do this, but as the regime, it's an everyday thing. And I think we're, we're feeling that, right? This change between what was mainly an information-based flow of, okay, uh, propaganda now becomes a personal attack, a public humiliation, struggle sessions, cancellations, firing, debanking, all of those things. And like I, like I said earlier, I don't know if it's so much maybe a, it's exhausted its liberal logic or like the, the philosophical endpoints of liberalism. I really do wonder if this is more so just a immunological response to the fact that they didn't have their thumbs on the scales as much as they thought they did around 2016. Because I mean, there was, there was no way that that man was supposed to be president of the United States. They were flabbergasted. They were surprised. They didn't know what to do. And everyone in the coming weeks after November in 2016, the, the answer was, we can never let this happen again. And so Biden gets in office after a contentious 2020 election. Um, you have, you know, a man arrested for making memes over four years ago. You've got, uh, you know, debanking, deplatforming things that are more explicit and facing on things because they want to ensure uh, never again. And I think where Trump says, hey, they're not just after me, they're after you as well. I think he's right there uh, too. We saw that in the uh, Georgia indictment. And we saw that also with the alternate electors in Michigan or the Richmond office for the FBI investigating traditional Catholics. So, um, you know, any avenue in which things could be talked about, whether that's you know, their boogeyman was Trump and the alt-right, you know, now their boogeyman might be, you know, Christian nationalism or, or traditional Catholicism, uh, anything in which they can see is a potential avenue for a 2016-like moment to have uh, come into existence, they will shut down because I think that they were um, really just surprised that actually we don't have all of our thumbs on the scales and somehow this guy got through. Man, they want they want Christian, Christian nationalism to be the alt-right so bad. So bad. Yeah, it's so just, bad. You you can just see them just falling over themselves. It's they're so desperate for it. But yeah. All right. So uh back to our thread here. Within democracy, everyone can participate, but but the cathedral robs people of democracy by diluting them. 
Within democracy under the regime, it's ready to shed those delusions, participate too much, too freely, and you get destroyed outright, removed from participating at all. Again, very critical, right? The soft power was all about influence. It was all about propaganda. Yes, you technically get to choose your leader. However, we're going to manipulate all the information. We're going to control all your understanding. We're going to create the stage. And then really, you're probably just going to pick the guy we want. But especially post-Trump, when he's not supposed to be there, when the things did not go that way, when that system of reliable uh, kind of uh, controlled management of democracy failed, now they shift to the regime where they are willing to get in there and say, yeah, if you are involved in the democracy, yeah, technically you can still legally vote, but we're going to destroy you if you do the wrong thing. And again, you can see this very specifically, I think, with the lawyers the co-conspirators who got indicted with Trump here, right? It's not just Trump. We're not just going after the president, though that would be enough. We're also going to destroy anyone who gave him legal counsel, anybody who worked in his administration. So it's not just uh, it's not just the political candidate himself. All of that expert infrastructure, all that managerial infrastructure required to run a modern campaign to actually pose any real opposition to the, the Democratic Party, is being attacked directly. So they're not just going after the candidate himself because you know he's this one unique uh, you know, uh, uh, person who was uniquely dangerous and has to be uh, taken away. They're going after the entire apparatus. They're sending a very s- clear message to anyone who would really stand against the regime again that yes, technically you're allowed to participate in politics, but the activity of participating in politics means you will become subject to this judicial process that'll destroy your life. Yeah, and I think it's a really key difference between sort of like your your mom and pop mainstream conservatism, where there is still this acknowledgement of sacredness and rituality towards elections, um, whereas the the left and the regime understands that you know that they're atheistic about it. They they know that this is just a bunch of made up kooky laws and BS that we can manipulate for our for our own ends. And so you have one side that fervently believes that there is something like sacred about democracy. We have our founding fathers. We've got our our holy scripture and texts of the Constitution and our laws. And for the rest of them, they're like, no, these are just things that we can use to to game against you. So you really are seeing this sort of, um, you know, like you can play the little game. We'll let you go to your churches or whatever. But secretly, we're going to ensure that whoever you elect as your pontiff or whatever um, is going to be our guy. Or if you don't play along, you know, you're all arrested and we're going to burn you at the stake. Absolutely. And then finally, he says the regime has concocted a brilliant scheme of total coercion without having to directly kill anyone. That's the merger. Uh, that's the merger. American leftism has been groping towards across the decades. It's found it. The question now is if it can keep it, and that remains an open one. So the goal was always to create this harder grasp on power. The situation where they no longer had to pretend uh, that they, they can still do the, some of the softer coercion things, but they can bring that harder edge to power without having to actually become a full-blown totalitarian violent state. Now the question is, can they continue to manage that level of control uh, while uh, you know not having to cross that line? Um, my, my answer is long-term no, uh, but he's, that he's saying this is an open question. That's what we're going to see. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they can keep it for the long run. I think this is why... Um, you know, open borders and, you know, amnesty discussion has been so preeminent here because if you can permanently 
have that sort of new underclass that votes for you in a high-low versus middle model that you and I have talked about respectively with our own work, um, then maybe you could keep it because then the anarcho-tyranny can continue. Any opposition where you touch the third rail of politics, whether that be on you know, racial issues or the enforcement of laws disproportionately towards one group or another, then yeah, like that can be permanently deplatformed, debanked, depersoned, etc. Um, but I, for now, I, I don't know, because there has been so much discussion about like getting the heck out of cities or um, understanding that things are only going to get worse and that you need to prepare accordingly. But uh, eventually, you know, it's the same thing with, um, say, like the concept of bioleninism, like either you a run out of people to bring in or B, it becomes really difficult to manage, um, you know, all these sort of, you know, inter minority coalitions that you're trying to balance. Because like, you know, we can spend months talking about anti, you know, Asian Pacific Islander hate and everything, but um, it's hard for people to look at what they're saying and then try and, you know, not believe their lying eyes when they say one thing on the media and then they watch someone else of a totally different complexion beat them, you know, in the streets of New York or in the subway. So I, We'll see. But I, I do think that one thing that would accelerate that way of maintaining this new form of coercive leftism is going to be some kind of way to, you know, just bring more people in and, you know, bring in amnesty, bring in a pathway to citizenship and do so. And that's one of the things that I was really pleasantly surprised to see on the, the recent Blaze Summit that you guys had uh, in Iowa was just that you guys were talking about the fact that not only do you need a wall, but you need to deport these people. Um, and that has to be in some mainstream platform going forward when having these discussions, because if not, the complete dilution of, you know, American political powers, we once knew it will, will disappear and um, they'll be able to maintain this form of coercion for as long as they want to. Yeah, if you, if you don't like your current voting base, you can always just hire a new one. Uh, and that's uh, that's kind of the plan, uh, I think, for uh, for most of the Democratic Party. So uh, stopping that trend, reversing that trend is is critical if you want to have any hope of of stopping the plan that they've kind of openly bragged about repeatedly uh, in, in the pages of the New York Times and elsewhere. Yep. All right. Uh, so let's head over to our uh, to our questions of the people. But before we do, Prudentialist, where should people be looking for your excellent work? Yes, as always, Oren, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You can find me over on YouTube as uh, youtube.com slash at the Prudentialist. I'll be over there. And you can find all of my links at findmyfriends.net slash the Prudentialist. I'm on Twitter, YouTube, Telegram, Odyssey, Rumble, uh, any sort of social media platform you can think of and, you know, video hosting site. I'm probably there. And um, by all means, head on over to the channel. I just have a brand new lecture discussing William Appleman Williams. Uh, Empire is a way of life, taking a look at sort of the tragedy of U.S. policy and foreign affairs. So if you're into that sort of stuff, by all means, check out what I do. Excellent. All right. Let's head over here. Uh, our first question from Pharmacil for $10. Thank you very much. Uh, concentrating black people into one or two states would hurt the regime because every red state has a blue city with many black residents, which were election fortification can happen. Uh, yeah. For those who don't know, uh, we, we kind of mentioned this article in passing, but we didn't really get into the details. I might do that later on here in a video, but Charles Blow basically gave an idea uh, saying that basically all black people should move to a couple states so they can have total control of them and consolidate political power there. Again, something that if you uh, you know said about white people or anything or Christians or anything, people would lose their absolute minds. But, you know, hypocrisy, how does it work? Right. We, we, we've we've gone over this a million times. Uh, but, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Obviously. Yeah, I don't think that's actually anything that the regime wants. Um, there is, uh, let, let's be really clear, like there is a, this this is useful as a shibboleth, not as an actual 
the, the, you know, the, there's no problems that the regime wants to solve for black America, right? They, that That's not useful for them. Uh, but it is useful to use them as a bludgeon to, to be able to threaten different things, you know, to, to tell the community that they're going to deliver certain things and then, you know, garner uh, kind of support that kind of way. They don't want to distribute or they want that distributed more than they want it concentrated because, you know, then, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to use it in the same way. Uh, so I, I think you're right that that's uh, something the regime would avoid for sure. Yeah, I, I don't find it to be anything that would actually happen. It's the same thing that happened. I think I think it's a Washington Post op-ed from 2011. It's quite a few years old at this point, 2011 or 2013, where they said, well, really, the solution to institutional racism is to give blacks uh, five thirds the vote. Um, and so, I mean, like, clearly these sort of language games and these sort of um, platitudinal, like, idea of, like, giving them the sort of political power, it's more of a carrot to keep them in line in the same way that when then Vice President Joe Biden was campaigning in 2012, he had threatened black voters that Mitt Romney would put them back in chains. You know, yes. like, it's, that's a, cla- that, that article, it's nothing more than sort of the, the carrot stick thing um, yeah. that you see all the time. Yeah, every, once once every few few years, they have to remind uh, people that milk toast Mitt Romney is just a uh, just one year away from re-enslaving, uh, you know, fifteen uh, percent of the population. Uh, yeah. David uh, Tavares here. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for sharing this type of content with us. Absolutely appreciate you coming by. Uh, Jacob here for ten dollars. A bit off topic, Oren, but it seems to be uh, Oren seems to be one of the most vocal in the predicting slow collapse, as where Hayward seems to think. It will happen fairly soon. Has there been or could there be a conversation on this? Well, I've had Charles on at least twice uh, for the channel. And um, certainly I'll have him on, I'm sure, at some point in the future. He's a great guest. Uh, Charles is most certainly uh, of the like uh, quick quick run collapse doomerism uh, camp there. I wouldn't say I'm on the uh, slow collapse camp. I would say I'm more in the medium, uh, more in the medium uh, a generation or two as opposed to uh, you know, Charles, who's like, it's going to happen in the next five to 10 years. That that seems a little, little fast for me. But then there are plenty of people who say it's either never going to happen or, you know, someone like Moldbug who says, you know, it could be a hundred or more years before it would happen. Uh, and so I would put myself a little more in that medium camp, but I, I would be more than happy to have that discussion with Charles at some point or bring it up uh, next time he's on the channel. Yeah, I mean, Charles has got a, a good piece about how fragile the regime really is. It's only, I think, less than a year old. It's really well worth your time in, in reading. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I don't know if you guys have had that conversation on that piece directly, but I, it would be a good one to have about the sort of timeline of collapse because everyone and their mother has got their predictions. And I feel like a lot of people just end up turning into the Millerites when they make these end of the world type, uh, you know, pontifications. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Creeper weirdo for $5. Uh, Richmond North of Richmond was a right wing viewpoint and feeling like Barbie is a S post. I don't know. We'll, we'll just censor ourselves for today, uh, to own the libs. And I'm tired of being gaslit. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't broken into this cause I, uh, the, the discourse on this is I feel been a little silly on all sides. I haven't seen Barbie. I don't know anything about it other than people have told me it, it might be secretly based. I'm not going to watch it. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it for the content grind. Um, the, 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 the North of Richmond thing is, uh, I, I mean, I like the song. I like bluegrass, uh, and that is, is a good kind of bluegrassy country song. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Some people were like, oh, well, it talks about the rich not being great. So, or class struggle. So it's really subversive. 
I don't think that is the case. I mean, the guy came out very specifically. I always read it this way, but he came out very specifically and said, no, I'm just talking about politicians in Washington, D.C. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about class struggle or, or, or you know, the rich in general. Uh, however you want to look at that, I thought it was a good song. But, yeah, so it was a very weird moment where a lot of people got angry and called uh, the feminist uh, pink movie about uh, a, mo- uh, a uh, toy the, the right-wing movie of the year while calling a, a song about uh, 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 degenerate Washington politicians a left-wing screed against uh, uh, rightism. But yeah, that, that was a cultural moment that occurred on, on Twitter.com. So. Sure sure did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have too strong of an opinion on music in part because I'm someone who unironically likes Streetlight Manifesto and other ska bands. But I mean, outside of that, I think that when he's talking about, you know, obese people who milk welfare, like I'm that's a, that's a right-wing coded song. Like right. to me- you're, you're keyed in. I don't need to worry about your politics. Just don't turn this person into an idol who doesn't match your like really highly on not online niche ideology one for one. Like you need to um, be a little less uh, concerned about ideological purity because there's plenty of people I don't agree with on the internet that I still think whose work is really good. So you should probably take that into consideration. I mean, um, I, I watched Barbie for free. Someone bought my ticket for me. Um, they said they couldn't go. I watched it. I mean, yeah, the coolest part is where Ken like learns that actually no patriarchy's based and we take over this imaginary world where only in an imaginary land does feminism work out. But I mean, it still has its own problems. But uh, it's a fun way for the right to, you know, instead of death of the author, we hijack the author's intent and we make it our own thing. And that's an example of what Nick Land was talking about, right? Where we, we get rid of the middleman. We get rid of the intermediaries. This is our thing now. Screw you. You're, you're, we're, we're the one who defined what this means at the end yes. of the day. Yeah. No, I get it. I'm still not watching Barbie, but I get it. Um <laughs> Zion here for $20. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, Let's see. We got Florida Henry here. Uh, I work with several major corporations since the lockdowns and riots, and I've noticed workers and uh, contractors just ignore HR and safety departments. Uh, I mean, that would be a great thing if true. Um, I, I think there's certainly a lot of sometimes things just have to get done. Uh, especially in very particular uh, areas and they just blow past that stuff and everyone turns a blind eye. Uh, that's still not a good long-term uh, plan because I know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, okay. Normally we put things through HR. Normally go, we to go through the process, but you know, there's a natural disaster or the lights have to turn on blah, blah, blah. So we'll just ignore it and get the, the work done. But the continued existence of those uh, organizations, it means eventually they kind of warm their way into everything. The fact that people have to blow them off, that they have to worm their way around them, they still have to do the the dance, uh, th- that is itself a problem. But I mean, it, it's good to know if if at least some degree there is some pushback. Hopefully that's a wider thing. But I think the continued existence of those departments still bodes poorly for those organizations. Yeah, I mean, like, we kind of just ignore what HR has to say when I get to work from home. And it's just like, ah, oh, well, you know, like, I can roll my eyes at it. But like, at the end of the day, that person still has their job and these meetings are still mandatory. Uh, it's cool that we can kind of like roll our eyes and be like, yeah, this lady's got a BS job or whatever. But that BS job is still a sign of political power and patronage. And so until all HR and diversity offices are permanently destroyed, they still have the power. That's right. It's uh, it gets raised to the ground. That's that's how you know. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, skeptical panda for five dollars. A little support from my favorite base streamer. Well, thank you very much, sir. Absolutely appreciate that. Thank you for coming by. Uh, let's see. We've got Philip Daniel here for five dollars. 
Uh, would it not be in the case be simpler for the government to dissolve the people and elect another? Yep, uh, a classic and uh, absolutely true uh, thing that is uh, ab- you know, 100% happening. It's, liberal democracies have figured out the problem, and the problem is the Democratic voting base. Uh, so if you can get rid of them, uh, then you can decide what actually is going to happen without much effort. Uh, glow in the dark for $5. I wouldn't say the cathedral is dying. I would say it's changing and cutting off parts that aren't as effective anymore. Soft glove uh, out, iron gotland in. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a decent consensus between credentialists and I, and obviously the thread there that uh, we're we're seeing a, a metamorphosis, um, an evolution. You know, where where your things that weren't work don't work anymore are falling away, and that would again make sense because the character of the people is changing, the technology is changing. Of course, it's going to adapt. Of course, it's going to try different things. Uh, I do think, however, there are some stability problems that are emerging. Uh, again, uh, I, I just wrote a book about it. It'll come out soon. Uh, so so I'll, I'll, I'm not going to dive into it today. Uh, but I, I don't think it's all just the cathedral is adapting. Just it's transforming into the regime and it's going to have uh, the thousand year rule here. I, I don't think that's exactly how that's going to work. But uh, you are right that the adaptations are coming. Yeah, and I think that point that you made about technology is really important. Like, people didn't just read, like, Alul or Lippmann or Edward Bernays and then put them up on a high bookshelf somewhere. Um, no, the, those those readings and those social technologies got refined and turned into, like, the most disastrous and destroying weaponized psyops known to man. And here we are. So, Will Cortade here for $10. Uh, what would be your ideal economic policy it seems like you have been critical of Mises' free market ideas in general, uh, but would love to hear some clarity on that issue. Yeah, so uh, to be clear, I'm not the economics guy. I'm not going to pretend to be the economics guy. I think there is actually a problem with being the economics guy. Uh, you know, uh, Carlisle called it the dismal science for a reason. Uh, I think it makes it difficult for you to see humanity as a whole. Uh, it, it while it can provide you powerful insights on very specific things about humanity and its organization. And I'm not denying that those things can't be valuable. Treating it as a be all end all or a kind of a, a mass universal way to understand mankind, his social organization, his well-being is a problem. That doesn't mean that there aren't just like hard laws of economics in the same way that there are hard laws uh, to some degree, you know, of physics. I mean, uh, I don't think the the laws in economics are anywhere as hard as the the you know real sciences. But I, I'm not saying those things couldn't exist, but I'm saying there does need to be an orientation to uh, and a recognition of who the economy is in service of. The big problem with, I think, many of the free marketeers who are still pushing a lot of that stuff is while they might be right about incentives, they're often still just thinking of uh, economics as like this free movement. Every, you know, every uh, group of people is fungible. It doesn't really matter what the the actual practical application of these things is in people's lives. It only matters if the line goes up. And I think that is a real problem. So like, yeah, maybe my, my, you know, TVs are cheaper uh, because, you know, that are coming over from China, maybe uh, in some ways there, there's some ease or comfort in, in the ability to invest in certain things. But at the end of the day, if it's making me and my neighbor sadder, if we can't, if they're not employed, if they can't have families, they can't have religious communities, I don't care how like fluid my markets are. And so uh, I think it's more of a readjustment of priorities rather than adhering to one particular economic system and its outcomes. 
Yeah, my my views are very similar to yours, Oren. Like I I think of markets, and I, I I think in a more localized form of mom and pop stores rather than watching the state arbitrarily determine. You know, um, actually, no, we're going to have this anarcho tyranny on an economic scale, and I'm not a fan of that either. But at the same time, right? Like we're so overburdened by a regulatory state. I definitely understand where the free marketeers are coming from, and like you, I'm not an economics guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's this, there's this, uh, I think this false thing where like, if you are not for every excess of libertarian, the libertarian conception of market, then you are some kind of socialist or Marxist or something. Uh, I, 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 I find that kind of a silly under way to understand things. Uh, but again, I think it's about a reorientation of priorities. Uh, you know, you, you, if you want to, if you want to jump on the Ben Shapiro thing and say, well, these are just economic realities and that's how it's always going to be. And so you just have to let your communities die and uh, let people become childless because that's just, uh, you know, the outcome of the free market. Well, fine, but sorry, I'm not your friend. Um, Raphael, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say the rest of your name because I will destroy it, but I am very grateful for your donation. Is the mass man dying along with the cathedral or do you see the mass society enduring beyond the lifespan of the consent manufacturing machine. Thank you for your work. Well, I think that's a great question, man. Uh, so I think the answer to that is that the cathedral helped produce the mass man, but it's no longer sufficient to govern the mass man, which is why I think we're seeing that transition to the regime because once the cathedral stripped out uh, kind of all of these individual folkways, these individual traditions, these individual communities that would have grounded people in something approaching a natural law, a natural way of being something that's closer to kind of the, the organic expression of their community, you could no longer manage people with the same kind of soft power that you had in the cathedral. You needed some more of that hard power. You needed to bring a harsher edge to things. And you were also able to, because again, there's no longer of that cultural friction, those traditional frictions, those opposing social spheres that would have pushed back against you. So I think that uh, the cathedral uh, kind of transitioning into the regime is not a signal that the mass man is going anywhere, but more that the mass man has come and, and is now, you know, kind of completely deracinated. Uh, and so a new way of governing the mass man is now uh, capable. So I think that you will continuing, you will continue to see the mass man and you will still see the consent manufacturing machine, but the consent manufacturing machine will use more aggressive and more forceful tactics along with many of the ones that were part of the softer liberalism of the cathedral. Yeah. Like that, that mass, I mean like revolt of the masses is still a book well worth your time um, by Jose Ortega where sort of that word mass man comes from. But like, I, I think as Walter Lippmann described in public opinion that um, we're all sort of forced into our own pseudo realities. Right. And I think that the internet has only accelerated that we're not in this sort of McLuhan global village. Right. We, we all live in our own niche spaces. Twitter is a big platform that anyone can use, but it has its own niche ecosystems for politics, media, culture, you know, fandom, etc. And so I, maybe mass man, as we know it, may die, but it may evolve in just these own niche bubbles that the regime will try and penetrate every which way it can. I mean, that was a big thing out of the Doug Mackey trial, right? Was that some anonymous poster by the name of Microchip, you know, turned against him and testified for the federal government. And like, you know, if you've got people that are willing to do that or to be, you know, feds themselves, then 
Um, the masked man is a perpetually surveilled man. It doesn't matter what his uh, predilections, tastes, or sexuality may be. He's just going to be um, the kind of man that you know has his things. He, he reads his paper. He watches his favorite YouTubers. But at the end of the day, there is someone out there trying to affect his uh, decision-making skills. And then finally, uh, let's see. Uh, sign over the X uh, for five Canadian. Thank you very much, sir. Oren, would you be interested in making a video about each of Pareto's residue classes? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing, and I don't know if people have noticed, but uh, you know, originally when I first started the channel, a lot of the stuff did not have explanations or didn't have more concise explanations. And so I went through and I kind of gave broad overviews of thinkers, uh, guys like Nick Land, like Curtis Yarvin, uh, like Pareto or Mosker, these kind of people. Uh, but now that I've got more time, you know, I, I can I do this full time. I'm not just trying to, like, sneak a video in every week under the gun. Uh, I can take some more time and go back to these thinkers and do them in more detail. That's why we're going through people like Nick Land in, in far more detail than we we're able to do before. And so Pareto is certainly one I want to get to. The interesting about Pareto, of course, he has this entire vast uh, sociological system. Society in the Mind is four volumes uh, you know, you can get the compendium, which is easier. That's got most of the critical things you'll need for the political stuff. But his his true kind of work on sociology is is massive. Uh, so it's hard to know where to to kind of start there. But the the residues is probably a good place. So I might not get into every aspect of every residue. And I have focused really on only the first two due to their kind of political implications. But yeah, it is likely that at some point I will be able to find the time to get in there and kind of break down the, the ones that are less relevant immediately to our political situation, but are still very important to understand as sociology. Uh, so it is a good idea. It's something pro probably not in the near future, but but I will get to there eventually. All right, guys, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Of course, I want to thank the Prudentialist for coming by an excellent co-host as always. And uh, I think we've got all our super chats. Just want to make sure. Yep, we're good. All right, guys. So if it's your first time on the channel, of course, please make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. And of course, uh, YouTube, it's, you know, people are like, hey, your stuff's not showing up in the feed. I can't see it when you go live. Guys, you got to do the stupid bell thing, the notifications. YouTube's like, yeah, sure, you subscribe to him. But do you really want to see any of his content? So if you want to do that stuff, you got to go uh, click all the other buttons and do all the other things. So you actually see what's going on. And of course, if you want to listen to this instead of watching it, you can go ahead and subscribe to the Or McIntyre show on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, thanks again for the way that's grown, guys. The audience on the podcast is now actually larger than uh, the YouTube channel uh, at this point. So that's amazing because it only really started like seven or eight months ago. Uh, so seeing uh, you know that kind of more than doubling of the audience is pretty wild. So I really appreciate everybody who subscribed over there, leaves the ratings, reviews, everything. It's a big deal. So thank you for coming by, guys. And as always, I will talk to you next time.